Welcome, welcome again to another rendition of WTF Interview. My name is Sir Royce Brialis, and I'm with my prestigious co-host, Dr. Raheem Young. How's it going, brother? I'm doing well. How things on your end? Man, it's beautiful out here. I, just walked, I just saw the sunset. The sky was like a different kind of orange. I don't know what it was. It was beautiful, though. Uh, <laughs> but uh, enough about that. We have a special guest. I'm pleased to announce Tashika Banks. How's it going, sister? It is going well. How are you all doing? Doing good. Doing good. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, first question we normally ask, uh, how many kids you got? And tell us about what you do professionally. All righty. So I have one daughter. She's 11 years old. And professionally, my title would be specifically right now I'm a teacher, but not just like your general education or special education teacher. I'm like a clinical teacher because I specialize in being able to go into a clinical setting, specifically dealing with uh, students or individuals that have autism as well as any other diagnosis, but their primary diagnosis is autism. What you know we're finding today is that uh, going into a classroom with general curriculum or even special education, you can't get to the curriculum piece because there are so many behaviors going on with students. And if you can't tackle the behaviors, then the curriculum doesn't really even matter. And especially with COVID and everything and how, you know, you've seen uh, students not able to go to school, students having to participate in online learning. Uh, the whole COVID situation is a traumatic experience for, for a lot of people, but specifically children. You saw rates of abuse go up, uh, depression and things like that go up. And it's a lot of behaviors that are coming with students as they get a chance to go back into school if they choose to go back physically into school. Mm, that's interesting. So how did you get, um, I guess, how did you get interested in that field? So uh, initially I started out in a child development center and I started out just in the classroom working with uh, infants. But then as I progressed, um, I started to, this was back, I want to say in like 2011, 2012. Uh, I, once I got to work with a little bit of the older children, uh, I would see behavior and uh, see like indicators in students uh, with behavior that I hadn't necessarily seen before and that my coworkers hadn't necessarily seen before. Also, you know, not being able to make eye contact, not wanting to be touched, uh, arranging blocks and shapes in very specific patterns, not wanting to play with the other students and things like that. And so uh, we kind of noticed like, you know, that's a little bit more than just like maybe a developmental delay or a student being shy or something like that. But at the time, uh, I didn't really know what autism was or, you know, how to label it. Um, this is when I was in Okinawa, Japan. When I came back over to the States and I was looking for employment, I just so happened to look and see uh, what was called an ABA therapist, and it's Applied Behavior Analysis. And so I kind of read the description, and I saw the word autism. Uh, I was like, okay, what is that? And when I read what it was, I was like, that's what it was. I'm not, you know, a clinician. Uh, I can't diagnose notes but what they said like the, the the features and the things that you see I'm like okay these students possibly may have had autism it's, and it's a very specific um research or science that is has been very helpful with uh helping parents helping caregivers and helping the individuals that have autism to uh cope with it and progress further within their education so i ended up becoming an autism therapist and then i, be I became a registered behavior technician and I would go into schools uh, I would be in the clinic setting and eventually um, being a special education teacher dealing with high school students that had a primary diagnosis of autism but they also had like a lot of other stuff going on as well wow that's interesting so uh, what um Based on your experience, what kind of advice would you give to parents that have autistic children? Like how, uh, it's how not your fault. 
yeah. it's, it's not your fault that your child has autism. Uh, it's, it's okay. Uh, there, um, there is something that you can do about it, especially if you catch it early. It's called early intervention. Um, it's, it's, it seems like it's an extensive process, but as soon as you locate the resources or you have someone help you locate the resources, there are a lot of things that are become available to you uh, as far as the different therapies, because usually when a, a, a child has autism, there's other things that follow it. They have a weak core, they have a uh, speech issue. So, you know, you can uh, get into finding services for a speech and language pathologist, uh, an OT, PT. There's a lot of therapy that's offered and there's a lot of centers and clinics that you can actually um, find and get services for. Uh, and it's not just, you know, for the child that has autism, because if you have uh, a child or a sibling or whomever that has a special need, the whole family is a part of the process. You know, you might have a three-year-old that has autism, but mom, dad, or whomever the caregiver is, they've been dealing with a lot of things too. So you need, you know, some type of therapy. You need some type of break. You need some type of help also. And when I lived in Chicago, I um, had the opportunity to work inside of a clinic that not only offered like ABA services, but they offered OT. They offered speech, they offered family therapy, and they offered family training for uh, the whole entire family because the whole entire family needs to be involved with inside of the process so the individual that has autism can be more successful. Okay. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to, uh, I guess, speculate because <laughs> um, I guess autism, it's not necessarily a new thing, but it really exploded onto the scene maybe like 15, 20 years ago. Uh-huh. Where do you think um, it came from? Or what do you think the cause of it is? So this is this is like real, real speculation because especially like with talking to parents uh, of younger children, uh, they have said that initially when their children were born, all the way up into a certain point, that child was typically developing. They didn't have issues, you know, making eye contact. They didn't, um, exp like, you know, they weren't withdrawn. They liked attention. They liked, you know, physical touch and things like that. And some parents have said, like, once they got between, like, 16 months to two years, they saw a complete difference, like something, something changed. Um, I would go as far as to say possibly, uh, especially with how food and the environment, everything has changed and there are so many hormones and there are so many uh, things that are being pumped into the food, pumped into the mm -hmm. air, pumped into like, you know, chemicals as far as when we grow food, food is being grown in laboratories and everything. Now there's a lot of things, foreign things going into a lot of things that we put in our bodies. Uh, I would maybe think that at some point during gestation, mom consumes something, there is something in the environment uh, that possibly during some time in development affects how the fetus develops and at some point uh, the situation or whatever it was that happened progresses and that child starts to show uh, symptoms or mm. you know, of that diagnosis. But it, there's, there's no known gene or trauma or something that happens inside of the environment where you can say, oh, this is the cause of autism, as well as there is no specific cure for autism. There is only early intervention and things that you can do, especially if you start early, that can help it. But unfortunately, just depending on where an individual is on the, the spectrum, 
um, how low or high ranking they are and at what time, at what point they got some type of services. You have individuals that will have autism that will completely be able to function on their own as an adult. And you might not even necessarily uh, know that they have autism, but then again, you may have individuals that are so low on the spectrum that they may need assistance for the rest of their lives. Mm, okay. So let's uh, switch gears a little bit. Can you tell tell us like um, about your upbringing? I know you're from Chicago, right? Uh huh. So um, I stayed in the city of Chicago all the way up until I was about I want to say like ten years old. Um, the the city that my parents grew up in and my grandparents kind of came into that part of the city started to change. Um, Mm -hmm. And my family was just like, they thought it was best for us to move out to the South suburbs, you know, the the Chicago public school. um, They don't, some, some areas, some schools are definitely funded better than other schools because of their athletic program, what have you, or whatever's going on in that school. And they don't really want to pump money into urban areas. Education, and this isn't just in Illinois, it's in, you know, every state where you have schools that are going to receive more funding and more grants and things like that. And then you have schools that aren't going to receive funding and grants and things like that. And so we ended up moving out to the South suburbs uh, as far as um, around the like Homewood, Flossmore area. And I ended up going to uh, like middle school and high school out there. And then from there, uh, we ended up moving uh, out to Kansas. But especially after spending so much time in in Chicago in the South suburbs, I I wasn't really uh, feeling Kansas. I didn't want to go initially. Uh, I have two siblings. I have two sisters, all girls. They're younger than me. I'm the oldest. Uh, My mom and dad. We uh, moved to Kansas and I finished up school there and I eventually, I was there for two years and then I ended up getting married and I moved to North Carolina. I was in North Carolina for a little bit and then from North Carolina, I moved out to Okinawa, Japan. So uh, how did you get to Japan? So my daughter's father was in the Marine Corps. Oh, okay. And, uh, yep. He was, he was a service member. And so our, his, his first duty station was in North Carolina. Uh, he was also from Chicago. I had known him in high school. Uh, we were just cool in high school, but eventually we reconnected when we got older and we ended up getting married and I moved to North Carolina. Uh, I was there in North Carolina, I want to say for about maybe a year or two, Uh, North Carolina is where my daughter was born. Um, I moved back to Kansas for a little bit because he deployed often. I would say initially when uh, we first got married, uh, the first two years, I maybe saw him for about six or eight months of those two years. Mm. Uh, uh, Before we got married, he was deployed, so I planned the entire wedding while he was in Iraq. The wedding was in Chicago, and I was living in Kansas. <laughs> um, How'd you pull that off? Listen, I would, I would <laughs> never, I would never do that again, and I would never <laughs> suggest that anybody try and do that <laughs> ever, ever. Uh, I wouldn't even spend the amount of money that we spent on that wedding. I would never spend that amount of money again because it's just, it's just so much. You listen, you can, you could do a lot more. There's a lot more resources. I'm older, I'm smarter and I would make it work and it would be, you know, it would still be an extravagant event. Uh, definitely wouldn't be as many as people that was there the first time because my, you know, my whole thing now is if I don't talk to you, if you don't, if, you know, send me a message. If yeah. we don't speak, I don't care if you're family. You don't need to be there. <laughs> so, 
this is this yeah if i if i had to get married again it would be something uh completely different but yeah i saw him maybe six or eight months out of the two years uh, the first two years that we uh were married which is also something that really took toll on our relationship but even when we were dating i lived mm -hmm. in kansas and he lived in north carolina and so we didn't come together until we uh, we got married and we moved to North Carolina. But even then, like I said, we didn't see each other as 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 much. It's not until we moved to Okinawa, Japan, that we had to really live together, and we really saw who each other was. And that's when we noticed that we were really different people. Yeah. Wow. So mm -hmm. how did you guys meet? Uh in high school. We met in we met in high school and we reconnected uh, uh a couple years later. Wow. But then y'all mm -hmm. were like, separate. In, at the in, same in, time. Hi, in high school, he you know, he he had he was uh he had a girlfriend and everything. I didn't even look at him that way. He was doing his thing. I was doing my thing. Uh, we had some common friends. Uh, we would see each other every now and then, but I, I didn't, I wasn't looking at him that way. And he wasn't looking at me that way uh, either. It wasn't until a couple years later that we actually reconnected. So no. with him being, uh, go ahead, Dr. Young, I'm sorry. I, I was going to ask, you know, like with um, the distance between you all, how did, did you all manage like the courtship and like the proposal and all that type of stuff? So he here's the thing with, with that whole situation. Now I know people that have been high school sweethearts and they got married young and 15, 20 years later, they're still married. Uh, I, 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 I know people personally that got married really young and they've, they've, you know, been together. Uh, it it works differently for everyone. For me specifically, um, how I did it the first time, I would never do that process like that again. Uh, I was younger too. Um, I was in Kansas, he was in North Carolina. How I see it, I wouldn't have said this back then, how I see it, I was, you know, we were dating. I was still doing my thing. He was still doing his thing and we were dating. Okay. <laughs> um, him being in the military, you know, he went to, he was, he was in, in the, uh, you know, he went to Iraq and he went to Afghanistan when they were really throwing down, mm. uh, when it was really serious, 17 years old, goes to boot camp, comes out of boot camp straight to Iraq. That's how it went for him. He, he was going to war when he was 18, 19, 20 years old. He went to Iraq twice and I believe Afghanistan once and he did some tours in other uh, like smaller countries. But mm -hmm. um, his push to get married and to start a family was because he didn't know how much time he had. Yeah. So that was kind of what he saw in the military was, you know, get a family, get married, because you don't, you, you don't know how much time you have. I'm, I'm pretty sure that he saw horrible things while he was over there. I'm pretty sure that he did horrible things while he was over there. So it was, you know, a lot. He, he thought that he was going to lose his life and he really wanted to carry on his legacy. And in order for him to do that, you know, it was kind of instilled. Marine Corps is really about family. You know, you get a wife, you have children. And so that was kind of his push probably to get married. My push to kind of get married is, you know, kind of what the, you, the, the whole thing that's instilled in young girls, you know, you have to, you have to do well in school. You have to be proper, you know, you grow up, you get education, but you're supposed to be a good woman. You're supposed to be a good wife. Right. So that's, that gets instilled still, and a lot of women as we grow up, because it's, 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 it really isn't until now where you see that kind of 
that role kind of like branching out, whereas there's more options, but like I'm, I'll be 36 in a couple days. Um, me growing up, women were supposed to be proper. Women were supposed to be poised. You weren't out, you weren't supposed to be out here, you know, being wild. You were supposed to eventually grow up and be a good wife to somebody, right? Uh, so I had that in my head, you know, I was on the right track. I was getting my education. Uh, I was working. So I was supposed to be a good wife and mother, right? That's what I was supposed to do. And if I could do it before the age of 25, oh, that would be super accomplished. I would be, you know, on top of the world. And so that was kind of my mentality going into the whole situation. I have this timeline. I have to get it done. I have to get it done. Uh, mm -hmm. But that kind of goes with, you know, me being the oldest child, uh, kind of growing up. The, and I don't, I, I call it the first child or the eldest child syndrome. There's a lot of responsibility placed on the oldest. There's mm -hmm. a lot of expectations and hopes and value and things ingrained uh, in the first child. You got to accomplish this. You have to have these goals, per, uh, you know, perfection, perfection, get it done, have it done right. Um, for me, uh, especially like, as far as education was something and still is something very, very serious to me. I don't, I don't take it lightly at all. Uh, especially when you have people in this country that don't receive education and you have people in other countries that get killed to try and get education. Um, I growing up, especially like, especially when I got to college, I didn't know how to fail. I didn't take failing lightly. It was a very difficult thing for me because I was always, I had to be on top of things. I had to, you know, get this award. I had to get this accolade. I had to do well, do well, do well, do well. And that's just how, how it was for me. Um, and so that just translate into education and school that translated into life. You have to always do well at work. You have to always do well as a person. You have to always do well as a wife. You just have to do well in general. And so I hadn't really had a point in my life where I wasn't congratulated, where I wasn't, um, regarded as you know something amazing where I didn't receive an award and things like that so when I like hit college and started mm -hmm. to go through different situations and circumstances in my life where I didn't do completely well or I didn't get congratulated I didn't get that award that was it was a struggle it was something very difficult and that wasn't just in school that was also I also saw, uh, saw that in my marriage and just in different situations in general as I progress forward. So how did that um, impact you? Uh, it was difficult at first. It was, it was really hard. Uh, my, mm -hmm. The first situation I had is when I was in school. I initially went to school in Illinois. I was down, down at University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign for two years. When I first started, I was in the field of biology because uh, one of my nicknames from when I was like two or three years old was Doc. Mm -hmm. So at the age of two on up, I was supposed to be a doctor. I was supposed to be a doctor. I told people I was going to be a doctor. That's what I was going to do. So when I started school, my major was biology, uh, pre-med. And uh, as I started to take the classes and I started to just like, you know, experience life in general and seeing that there were other options, I didn't want to be a doctor anymore. Yeah. But to go from two all the way up to 18 with the expectation that I was always going to be a doctor, always hearing that, always telling people that. Uh, I think there was kind of some, you know, there was some disappointment, not just from me, but from my parents and everything, uh, as far as like, well, you know, you, you said you were going to be a doctor, this is something that you wanted to do. But when I got there, it, it wasn't something that I was passionate about. It wasn't something that I necessarily wanted to do. But 
always, like I said, coming from that background of always being on top, always wanting to be a, a people pleaser and, you know, get those accolades and get those congratulations. I didn't know how to communicate that. I didn't know how to communicate something that might potentially disappoint the people that were rooting for me, the people that were very important to me. I didn't know how to communicate that to them. So when you hold in that stress, when you hold in that tension, you may not necessarily speak it, but it's going to show up. I started mm -hmm. to lose my hair. Uh, I started, my immune system started to fail me. I had like, uh, a, I was either sick I had the stomach flu like every other week. I was going to mm -hmm. the, uh, the hospital down at the school, getting medication, getting shots because my immune system was just like, hey, we, we can't, I can't deal with this. My mm -hmm. hair was falling out. I was tired. I was just stressed out. I had 18, 19 years old with bags under my eyes, you know, carrying groceries under my eyes and things like that mm -hmm. uh, because I was trying to tough it out. And so when I finally got the courage to uh, just be like, hey, I can't do this. I, you know, this is not something that I want to do. I can't do it. Um, the a consequence of that was, you know, my, my parents were kind of like, well, you know, where they were assisting me as far as financial aid and, and everything through college, they were like, well, mm -hmm. if this is not something that you want to do anymore and this is what we were supporting, you're on your own. Mm. So from that point on, I, you know, I had to get my own financial aid and take out a whole bunch of loans and things like that. But I finished, <laughs> I finished school and I ended up doing what I'm still doing today, which is something that I enjoy, which is something that I love. And, you know, I'm still making a difference in people's lives. It may not be medically, uh, as far as like a surgeon or a psychiatrist or something like that. But um, I'm still, you know, definitely showing up and showing out for the kids, which, uh, you know, children is something very, very uh, passionate, uh, passion of mine because of experiences that I've dealt with my own family members, as well as the experiences and the things that go on with children right now to this day because you know they don't have a voice they have they need someone to advocate for them and unfortunately there are some really bad people in this world that do really bad things to kids yeah. Yeah. It, oh i'm sorry Russ. no i was gonna ask uh talk about the relationship that you had with your dad uh like what type of uh, dad was he to you so he, my, my dad is, he, he is a hero. What I've, what I watched him do, uh, I was, when my first sister was born, I was like six and, uh, I watched my dad take care of three kids with my mom, of course, uh, both of them, both of them toughed it out, but my dad was going to night school. Uh, after working full time, you know, 40, uh, 40 plus hours a week, uh, going to night school, coming home, uh, helping take care of us. And I know that every decision that my father has made as far as relocation, as far as what job he took, as far as what position he took, he always had his family at the center of it the decisions that he made, the choices that he made were for family, to better his family, to make sure his family uh, ate, to make sure his family was taken care of. Uh, my dad is one, one of my like strongest examples of how a man is supposed to be. It's like my dad, you know, my grandparents, my grandparents, my uncles, I have like really strong examples of, it doesn't matter how much money you make, I've seen them make it happen for their families. So for me, it's hard when I see like welcoming someone in my life, a male in my life, um, where they take on this position of 
other things being more important or prioritizing other things over their family. That's unacceptable to me. I, I just, I don't understand it. I don't like it. I'm, I, I don't deal with it. <laughs> um, so uh, that's, that's an influence that I've gotten from my dad because I know it's completely possible. I know it's completely capable. Uh, people are completely capable of taking something small and turning it into something big. And I've seen my dad work extremely, extremely hard to get to the position that he is in today. So that that's something that I definitely saw him do and that influenced me deeply. What's like the greatest advice your dad has ever given you? The greatest advice my dad has ever given me, it, it has to be making sure that I have my relationship with God and not to be unequally yoked with anybody. I'm not just talking about like with a, a, a partner or a spouse. I'm talking about your friendships, people that you keep around you. You should not be unequally yoked with individuals that uh, aren't on your level mentally, spiritually, your morals, your foundations, things like that, because you can, why would you put yourself uh, in a situation where, uh, you know, your morals, your values, things like that can be completely tested? You know, I used to, mm -hmm. you know, the saying birds of a feather flock together. And then you say, well, you know, no, this person is completely different. They may hang around this person, but they don't do that. You know, I, I, I've seen, you know, kind of guilty by association. That person may not be doing that or participating in it, but you're around someone that participates in it and in a way whether you say yes or no you're condoning what they what they uh do you're condoning mm -hmm. their behavior because you're you're just letting it go you're letting it fly you're letting it happen and you come at the end of the day you he 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 and ha 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 and giggle and all that stuff when you got your friend is a horrible person and you know yeah. they people you know horribly their character is just trash and but that's your best friend that's your bff and it's just kind of like you're you're a questionable individual to me if you if you're good uh with you know someone just being a complete like garbage person and you're just at the end of the day kicking it and smiling so you don't have like any homegirls that's that's out there but you and the rest of your friends, like y'all still I, hanging I did, out. I did. I did. I did. <laughs> okay. I absolutely did. I absolutely did. But oh, as you get older, those people start to drop off. They yeah. start to drop off um, because as you, as I progress and, you know, as you know, um, my priorities are this, that, and the other, and their priorities are this, that, and the other. We don't, we don't always connect we don't always mesh. Do I have friends that, that do things that are completely different, have different beliefs and everything uh, from me? Absolutely. But I'm not going to hold on to friends uh, that are just like, wow, that I can't bring around my 11 year old daughter that I would be embarrassed to bring around, you know, my family. I don't want people associating me with certain things. And that's just, that's just what it is. <laughs> so um at what point during the timeline did you have your daughter because he went to iraq so he wow. he was deployed while i was planning the wedding he came back like a month before the wedding i believe um and we got married in june of 09 Yes, maybe. <laughs> um, her birthday is July 6, 2010. I know that. Uh, literally. <laughs> Happy anniversary. I know yes. that. Right. <laughs> that, is, that is her birthday. Um, I, I got pregnant quickly after uh, we got married. Oh, she had cancer. And I had, 
<laughs> she is a gay. We, we, we got to talk. I got a cancer on my on my side too, man. <laughs> yeah, something else. <laughs> uh huh. So, uh, I had her, and literally six months into me having her, he was deployed, mm-hmm. and he came back when she was eleven months, and then he deployed, and he didn't see her again until she was like 18 or 19 months and that's when we went to Okinawa and she didn't know who he was didn't want anything to do with him and so it took a little bit of time for them to build on their relationship but that was also the first time that I had to literally uh physically completely every day all day deal with him also And that was the first time that he had to completely deal with me all the time also too. So it wasn't like that, oh, you know, you're gone for a little bit and then we see each other and it's all happy and wonderful. And, you know, because we haven't seen each other in a long time and then you go away and then I go away. No, we, we were here. We were raising a child. And that's when, you know, we found out that we didn't really like each other. So, so talk you know, about, I, about the plane ride then. So you had two different plane rides. You had a plane ride woo! going there, you know what I'm saying, yes. with the expectation yes. of being together, and then you come back, and y'all uh, oh. ain't working out. It's two different so plane rides. So both, both, plane, both plane rides were stressful because <laughs> going there, uh, for, I, from Kansas, I flew to uh, Washington State. So I was at, we were at the airport. I have an 18-month-old child with me. I have all the luggage, okay? I have, I got the car seat. I got the stroller. Mm -hmm. I got all our luggage. I got our passports and all that stuff. So we get there, got to get all that stuff loaded. You know, like from the airport, like when you went, when I went from like the regular part to the international part, it like slowly and you could really tell that you were like in the international part because it was like totally different you started seeing you know this spot (laughs) right here and this store right there and I'm just like what is going like am I in the same airport and so I got this 18 month old and I got all this stuff and so that's in the states then here we go on this 18 hour flight to Narita. Yes, to Narita over uh, in Main Island, uh, Japan, near Tokyo. Oh, she did a straight shot. Then he didn't take no stops. No, 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 not straight. It was it was straight to Japan. But see, uh, I lived on South Island. I lived in Okinawa. So even right. though we got to Narita, we, we had to get on another plane oh. <laughs> and go to Okinawa. Uh. Okay, so I get. I get to Narita and it's so hi gazamos, hi. And I'm just sitting up there looking, everything is in kanji. And I'm just like, what? Like, what am I supposed to do? And you have to get, I had to get the luggage and put it on a different plane. So I had to go find my luggage. I had to wow. get the stroller again. I had to get the car seat again, get all this luggage on that cart. My daughter's screaming. <laughs> Get get all that yeah. stuff, put it on another plane, and get on another plane. She's looking like, what? She now she was cool for the the eighteen hours, but that last three four hours to get to Okinawa, she lost it. Yeah, but not again. She lost it. And so, again, mama. right? Listen, we, so we got there, and initially it was like, oh, you know, it was a happy moment. And then as time it was as as time as time progressed, that high started to come down. Mm. And so the ride back was a completely different ride once we were there for the three years and we had to come back because we came back and we were divorced. Like immediately. And so the, I, I got we got divorced while we before we left. Uh, I, I sent, you know, an email to my family. I sent it to my dad. (laughs) I was like, I'm just letting you know, uh, we're coming home. Cause you know, I had, I initially when, when I first got down to North Carolina, we were married for three months and I had already sent my parents a message. Like, I can't do this. I'm coming home. 
three months this into was, it. And yes, three months into it. My dad was like, Shika, you're an adult. You know, marriage isn't something just like going to prom. This is something that you got to stick with. And then I was like, I guess. And then the next month I was pregnant. And I said, that's right around the time you got pregnant then. You know, oh. can I can I ask you something? Uh-huh. Well, really, this is like a, a two, I guess, two question. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you feel like, just based on like some of the things that you said earlier, do you feel like your ex-husband put like the Marine Corps in front of his family? And also, well, what was like when you all were together in Japan, what was that first thing that you noticed? Like, I don't know. Um, so because of his background and our backgrounds and how we grew up were completely different. Mm-hmm. He dealt with a lot of childhood trauma, a lot of childhood trauma, mm-hmm. uh, which is something that I did not fully know before we got married. That's why it is very important to really know who you're marrying on both ends. It was really important for him to know who he was marrying in me. It was really important for me to know who I was marrying in him. He dealt with a lot of childhood trauma. And then as an adult dealt with even dealt with trauma again, being in the military. Um, So because of his trauma that he dealt with in childhood, it kind of turned him into a people pleaser because as a child, he didn't get the attention. He didn't get the love. He didn't get the congratulations and you're awesome and amazing when he was a child. He didn't do as well as he could have in school, but then he gets to the Marine Corps and he excelled. He was amazing at it. He did his job well. He got the accolades. He got the recognition. He he did his job well. He got the congratulations. He got promoted, you know, he ranked up. And so he didn't want to come down from off that high. So he searched for more things to do to continue to get those congratulations, to get that those accolades, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. He got congratulated for, for getting married and having a wife. He got congratulated for having a child. Uh, so he didn't stop there. He wanted to be a part of, of, you know, the Marine Corps football team. He wanted to play basketball. He wanted to do all these extracurricular activities, um, which kind of interfered with the fact that he had a wife and a child because he was always doing this other stuff, doing this other stuff. For me, when I got pregnant, this switch flipped. Anything and everything that I did from that point on no longer was all about me. It was about my child. Every decision that I was going to make, everything that I was going to do, I had to remember that it was going to affect someone other than myself. Uh, And so that's the kind, I didn't do it perfectly. Everything wasn't perfect, but at the foundation of my being was my child. Mm -hmm. I can't say that it was the same thing for him. He would probably, he would probably say that it was, but an example of how it wasn't was how he put himself into everything else except for his family mm. so what um what would you say what kind of dad was he then and uh in what ways would you say that he's similar or different from your dad um for me i think he is the complete and total opposite of my dad um and that is another uh, situation that kind of affected our marriage also and even uh, affects the relationship that he has uh, with his daughter now, with our daughter now. Um, he didn't, especially from, you know, birth to a certain age, he didn't have a solid example of a father. 
and it showed in his interactions with people um, and how he treated people, how he treated women and how he got along with other people. Um, you know, he had his adoptive parents, he had his dad that took, you know, good care of him and everything. Um, but like I said, that trauma and just his own personality and characteristics and everything, he was going to be his own person regardless. And so I, I just think that he made a lot of decisions as you know, everyone uh, does he, but for him, he made a lot of decisions that had a very negative impact on how his life progressed. Uh, one of the biggest mistakes that I think that he did make uh, other than, you know, family stuff was getting out of the military um, because he was in for about 10 years. He could have stayed in for five or six more and he could have retired and had benefits for the rest of his life. Um, but because he chose to get out beforehand, you know, all of that wasn't an option anymore. And like I said, he did really well when he was in the military. He excelled. That kept him grounded and somewhat level, but he didn't acclimate very well outside of the military. Yeah, so you could say uh, the military was his was his gang. Like, you know how they say, uh, you know, kids mm -hmm. gravitate towards gangs because they don't have that male figure or that, yeah, that, was, that acceptance mm -hmm. at home. Mm -hmm. So they look for he another had, place. He had power. He had yeah. power. He had control. He had status. He had rank when he was in the military. Uh, also, because of his rank, because of his status, you know, where you have in the civilian world, you know, you, this person could be rich, they could be hold this title, this position, you know, at their business or whatever, somebody could walk up to them and slap them in their face and be like, what? That doesn't mean anything. In the military, you can't do that. You have to respect your higher ranking officer. There's people that are in higher ranking positions. You have to because there's a chain of command. So you might be better than someone. You might be smarter than someone. You might be more skilled, but because of that rank peak, because of, you know, their accolades and things like that, uh, you have to respect them or else you're going to get demoted. You're going to lose your job. You're going to get dishonorably discharged, things like that. So that same respect that same reverence and you know whatnot that he received then didn't transfer to the real world. Uh, you know, in the real world, if you're a bum, you're a bum. Yeah, you know, if you're if you're this, you're this. If you're that, you're that. And that's just what it is. And people don't care who you are. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it just it just is what it is. When you were in Japan, uh, did you learn any curse words? Um, let me see. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't learn any cuss words. I knew a lot more Japanese then than I can remember right now, because, you know, when you don't, when you don't use something, you lose it. Yeah. And so I'm not around a whole bunch of Japanese people to continue to speak the language. I did get an app on my phone and everything because I, I loved Japanese culture. I love Asian food, you know, kimonos and things like that. And so that, that was like, besides everything that happened like personally in my life the cultural experience the things that I got to do the people that I got to meet while I was there is like you know I could cross that off my bucket list that was an amazing experience and I was very appreciative to be able to go over there going to Japan is something that I've talked about since I was young I've always liked anime you know watching Gundam Wing and Dragon Ball Z and all that stuff when I was growing up so to actually go over there and see that and experience that and have that, you know, that memory and that experience is something that I wouldn't trade. Oh, that's pretty cool. Who was your favorite uh, Dragon Ball character? Goku. <laughs> Goku. Goku Squad. Goku, yes. He he was always, you know, he would go in that chamber, he would be in the chamber, he'd always be... <laughs> 
Buffy came out, ready for Vegeta. Yes, yes. I, I Goku, hands down. But you know, I I still watch anime. I'm a I'm a big anime person. Uh, you know, my favorite anime now is is the whole Naruto Baruto series. I watch mm-hmm. all. Yeah, myself watching that now. <laughs> Listen, yes, all 700 plus episodes. Like I, I've dedicated a lot of time. I have to pull myself away from the TV sometimes because you would think I was over there with him, like I'm his mama or something. <laughs> like, you know, no, 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 you gotta do this. I'm sitting up here mad because of what happened in the episode. Like, yo, this is not real life. Calm down. <laughs> have you gotten into like One Punch Man? No, uh, right now uh, I'm on Demon Slayer and uh, Attack on Titan. Oh, Attack on Titan is good. I was on like season three. Oh, now I got to get back on that. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I'm I'm waiting for Demon Slayer to come back. We went to the movie and saw the you know the three hour movie, uh, and I'm just waiting for the second season to come out. My daughter has the manga. Like it, it's it's serious. It's real over there. <laughs> it's real. Yes. <laughs> Tashika, a question I already asked you. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to read what you said. It was a good response. I asked you, uh, what does fatherhood mean to you? Uh, Mm -hmm. You said consistency, showing up, making time, being supportive, Mm -hmm. setting a positive example for others to see. So uh, it sounds like kind of how you define your dad, in a sense, Mm -hmm. but uh, you can elaborate on, on that a little bit more. So a lot of, and, you know, people might not be honest uh, as far as like just, you know, fatherhood, motherhood, parenthood in general, you don't always want to show up. You, you don't, you don't always want to show up, but what makes, you know, the average parent and the better parent is even when you don't want to show up, you do. Because like I said, it is not about just you. Uh, you have to take into account the things that you do, the things that you show your child is going to dictate the type of person they potentially grow up to be. Um, as far as fatherhood and motherhood, you want to try your best to give your child uh, an experience that they don't have to grow up and need a therapist. You know what I'm saying? Uh not saying that therapy is bad. Therapy is wonderful. Talk being uh, provided a space to talk about, you know, your life and things like that, especially when you're in the mental health field or you, you know, you just, you know, stress out in general, being able to talk things out is awesome and amazing. I'm appreciative for that, but I'm talking about, you don't want to give them a traumatic experience to that. They have to go into someone's office and unload you know this massive amount of trauma from their childhood because of the decisions that you made the things that you did what they saw growing up my daughter isn't going to have to show up to someone broken and upset and depressed and stressed because of decisions that I made. If she gets there on her own because of things that she chose, then that, you know, that may have happened. But as for me, it's not, I don't want that to come from me. I don't want that to come from her father, uh, making decisions to harm her or hurt her or not prioritizing her because she didn't ask to be here. She didn't. Children don't ask to be here. So regardless of what the situation was, uh, who left, who stayed, uh, once that child is here, you got, you got to make it happen. And so that's why I say what I said about fatherhood. Um, I've seen men make it happen. Uh, regardless of the situation, I've seen, you know, uh, men, I have male friends that they might not have necessarily stayed with the mother, but they took care of their kids. They didn't have the best relationship with the mother, but they took care of the kids. And I even have some friends that took uh, took care of the mother, even though they weren't with the mother, uh, to the point that I knew someone that, you know, mom wasn't making a certain amount of money. She couldn't afford to stay in a certain area, but it was in his child's safety was very important to him to the point that he said, hey, I will pay your rent 
at your apartment for you to stay in this area so our child can go to this school as long as you don't have someone else living you know living with you i'm not trying to control you know who you have in your life who you have in your apartment but if someone else moves in other than my child then that person needs to take care of you know their portion of the rent and you need to take care of yours but as long as you're staying by yourself with my child I'll take care of the rent and I'm paying tuition. And I'm just like, what? You know, that that is amazing to me. He didn't have to do that. He was not obligated to do that in any way, shape, form, or fashion. But that's what I'm saying when I talk about the character of certain men. They are going to get stuff done and they're going to get uh, it done by any means necessary, even if it is going the extra mile. I've seen it. So I know it exists. Um, so that's why, regardless of situations that I go through personally, that's another thing why I don't like give up on Black men in general, because I've seen very strong roles in black men i've seen it happen i've seen it taken care of i know that it's possible so i'm always going to uplift black men and you know y'all do some crazy stuff sometimes but you know black women do some crazy stuff sometimes also but i'm always going to be protective of black men i'm always going to be supportive of black men and i'm always going to be rooting for black men and that's just what it is wow that's cool that's cool I know um, in the, we had a couple of interactions um, in the past. You came on some of our uh, parent and support groups, mm-hmm. uh, some of our meetings. And like my impression of you is like, um, you seem to be very mature and like an uh, evolved woman. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, let me ask you, if you could go back and give your 16, 17-year-old self some game, mm-hmm. what would it be? So I wasn't always level-headed. I wasn't always mature. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I still, I still have a bit of a temper, but I was, I was, I was the heat miser growing up. Like it, it didn't take too much for me to pop off. I, I did it in context and I'm the type of person, I'm, I'm an October, uh, October Scorpio. I'm the type of person. I don't just come at you right away. I got evidence. I got. I keep. I keep. I keep my notepad, and so when it's time to go, I'm like, you know, according to section one, letter A, you know, you know, the one, two, three. Exhibit A, exhibit B. (laughs) This is this is this is the outline. This is when it started. This is how it's going. This is what happened. So you know, at that point, if you're stuck and you're still trying to say no, then I'm like, no, you know what? I can't even deal with you because you're lying. So um, just, you know, talking to, talking to 16 year old me, I would definitely tell her like, listen, you, you need to listen. It's not always going to be perfect. Don't be so judgmental of other people and never say never. Don't say, you know, this can't happen to you. This won't happen to you. Because situations and circumstances can quickly change. What God gives, he can also take it, take it away. You need to be very humble. You need to be kind. And you need to uh, be considerate to other people. Uh, stop placing so much pressure on yourself to get stuff done in a specific timeline to please other people. It's not always about how fast you get it done. It's just that you make it there. That's like a very important part that I would definitely tell myself. And I would tell myself that it's okay to fail because failure is a part of a learning process, but don't let that keep you down. I would also tell myself to calm down uh listen to people don't snap off so quickly um because <laughs> like i said uh I, I i had a temper i still have a temper but it's all in contact i you know i i do the third time is the charm like i let you go i let you go but then the third time um i might have something to say gotcha <laughs> 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 No, our grandma, she is Scorpio. I know, I know you. 
I know the uh, I know the how, type. How I mean. I, yeah, yeah, how man. how I handled how I handled my the whole situation with my divorce. Like I was married for I believe like five and a half, almost six years. How I would have if I would have left in the beginning, how that would have went, it would have been completely different from how I left in the end. In the beginning, it would have been messy. It would have been aggressive. It would not have been, it, it wouldn't have been good. In the end, uh, the divorce was amicable. Um, it was, what's the word? I didn't ask for alimony. I didn't ask for anything. I just wanted to go my way and I wanted him to go his and I wanted our child to be taken care of. And that was it. But me at 23 would not have done that. I would have, I would have came for the jugular. <laughs> it was all bad but I had to mature I had to get God had to get me to a point where I wasn't going to you know be immature uh it, it wasn't perfect but I was much 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 better about the whole situation yeah I could see you going to the catapult and just pulling the the string and the fireballs flying over to the ship <laughs> oh man. Now, uh, my last question, we didn't kind of close to time, but um, my last question to you, Tashika, is uh, what advice would you give to any father? We got a lot of dads listening. Uh, mm-hmm. What type of advice would you give to, to any guy that's listening that's a dad right now? Um, Especially with everything that's going on with all the, the rules and regulations that's being placed on the body of a woman and how women are treated and things in general, uh, I would definitely say, uh, look at yourself and look at your character. Would you want, even if you don't have a daughter, would you want your daughter to be with somebody like you? If you say no to that question, for whatever reason, you really need to do some self-reflecting and you need to change yourself immediately start on the process because you're not always like you're not always going to be able to blame your childhood you're not going to always be able to blame people that weren't there people that were there at some point cognitively speaking you get to a point of responsibility where you have to be accountable for your actions what you're missing what you didn't get and things like that and you just have to be better so I would definitely tell you know if, if, especially like, you know, when it comes to partners and everything, if you can't see yourself having a child with somebody, why are you with them? You know, don't make them a mother and then, you know, talk bad about them, this, that, and the other, because, you know, essentially who you're with and the things that you go through with them is also a reflection of you. So if you out here, you know, talking bad and things like that, you know, that also reflects you because you have to remember you chose that person. So you also have to come in with some uh, accountability and responsibility for the situation also. So I, it's the golden rule, treat people how you want to be treated start with that we don't have to go into you know any philosophy and get deep and things like that treat people how you want to be treated it's just that simple man it's a couple gems in there man would you want your daughter to be with somebody like you man Listen, I'm, I'm i'm trying i'm trying i i i am trying it's it's hard out here <laughs> but i i am trying and that's what's amazing about your story because you had a shining example of what a dad is supposed to be like uh, from your point of view, from your vantage point. And then mm-hmm. you got with somebody that was the total opposite of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just, uh, man, it goes to show you, like you, uh, like you said, you, you wake up with a with a uh, with a chance and a choice, basically. You know, mm-hmm. uh, yep, and you choose to be know. with is a part of that. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That whole formula. So. So yeah, I definitely had to, <laughs> like, I, I couldn't I couldn't just say, hey, you know, him, yeah. him, 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 him. I had to turn that around and yeah. you know, 
questions for myself too, because at the end of the day, um, I did choose that person, but I didn't have to continue to choose that person every day because like I said, it wasn't about me. I have to show my daughter how a woman is supposed to be treated, how a woman is supposed to respect uh, be respected. And I had to teach her that just because society tells you or the church tells you, or, you know, family tells you, you that you're supposed to stick with something. I don't believe in being miserable. I don't believe in, you know, subjecting yourself to mental, emotional, social abuse. That is not something that you show your children. That is not something that you continue because I'm not going to show her that negative things are okay and that she's just supposed to roll with the punches with things like that and shoulder stuff. Like I said, that's that's a fast uh, way track to be laying on the couch in the therapist's you know, chair talking about the trauma from childhood and experiences that she got herself into because of what she saw, what wasn't taught to her and, you know, the tools that she wasn't given when she grew up. And I'm, I'm just doing my best to make sure that that doesn't come from me. Well, this was a great interview. Uh, I really liked it. Not a great one. We're going to call it a uh, Hall of Fame. We're going to hang it up in the rafters. You got to go there. I, I just, I hope that someone hears it, you know what I'm saying? And they take something uh, from it and they're able to like, you know, make a change for the better or, sh you know, share with somebody else. And it makes even if like one person and like a small impact in their life just to do something better or make different decisions go down a different path uh, than what you know I chose or what they're about to choose anytime that I can help somebody do better I don't want my daughter to be like me I told her I want you to be way better than me I want you to you know just just be better you know don't be like me be better yeah we can, we can see ourselves having a part two I think there's uh, a lot more to that, that story you got uh -huh. over there. It should be just an anime version. Like just... <laughs> 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 Definitely getting the weeds with that. But uh, if anybody had to reach out to you, find you, uh, connect with you online, where would they go? Hold on, I can't hear you. Hear me now? Okay, I can hear you, yeah. Yeah, I was saying, Tachika, uh, if, if you had to uh, send somebody to your, uh, somebody want to reach out to you, uh, how would they be able to do so? Uh, you can find me on Instagram, uh, chic underscore luch85. Beautiful man. Yeah, chic luch. <laughs> <laughs> chic luch underscore 85. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn and I'm also on uh, Facebook. So you can find me that way. Now, uh, the last name on LinkedIn is a different last name. Yes, right. it. Uh, you can find me on uh, LinkedIn and on Facebook uh, at Tashika Garrett. Two gotcha. R's, two T. That's a whole story why I still have the last name, but like I said, we can <laughs> save that. For yeah, we can uh, talk about <laughs> yeah. that after this. Uh, don't hang up. <laughs> don't hang up. We normally okay. like a little post game. But uh, yeah. yeah, Dr. Young, did you have any other questions? Did you have anything else? Uh, no, no more questions. I just want to say thank you. Uh, I appreciate you giving your time for this. No problem. All right, yeah, so without further ado, for myself, Sir Royce Brialis, for Dr. Ryan Young, and for Tashika Banks, thanks again for this amazing uh, time and interview. Uh, definitely be sure to uh, leave a review and uh, stay tuned for further announcements. Yes, yes, Sir Royce here, and I want to thank you again for listening to WTF Interviews. Leave a review as it helps more people like yourself receive the message. Also, consider donating to Welcome to Fatherhood. It's a nonprofit that myself and Dr. Raheem Young created to help dads showcase their superpowers to the masses. You can do that by going to WTFatherhood.org. Again, gratitude and be well. You already are.